know your strengths and your weaknesses and then find somebody who's the opposite of that, but is also still very driven and like has the same goals aligned. Cause that's going to be, then you, you can be an unstoppable team in the end. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Smarter Destiny podcast. And I am stoked today because we've got my friend Alex Keon on. He is a serial entrepreneur with multiple seven and eight figure businesses to his name. His current venture is an eight figure skincare brand that is destroying the internet right now with a 50% repeat business rate without doing subscriptions. Just, you know, let that ponder. That kind of means you're doing something right, particularly at that kind of scale. But Alex is an absolute legend. He hung out with us at our Kosamui mastermind last last year and the guy is an enigma and a powerful one at that. He is an onion and he is such a knowledgeable guy and such an awesome dude. I am honored to call him a friend. And so without further ado, let's bring him to the stage. Alex, how are you? Martin, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, man. I'm so good to see you and so good to uh, to be on this on your podcast. I'm honored. Fantastic. So likewise, a lot, of, so a lot of big names that I respect and a lot of, uh, as you would say, legends that I've watched on your podcast. So just really cool to uh, to be you know invited. You fit in amongst the great company, dude. So whereabouts in the world are you right now? I'm in the L.A. area, uh, like suburbs of L.A., uh, Westlake Village, to be more specific, but like Beautiful. 40 minutes north of LA. So it's early morning and you're supping coffee whilst I'm sort of like winding down yeah. a little bit. Although to be day. honest, I drink coffee not only in the morning, but yeah, <laughs> about 9 a.m. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. So the way we typically kick these things off is we go back to a point in your past, which really serves as a great starting off point for your entrepreneurial journey. If you have a time... Um, in mind that you can tell us about. Please take us back to that time and paint us a word picture. Yeah, like how how I started basically. Is that what you'd like to? Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how did you? So you said in two thousand and one was kind of when your entrepreneurial yeah. journey started. I, how did how I did never, you get started? I remember it so well. I mean, I was nineteen years old. I was uh, I was I was actually working at a car dealership at the time, like selling cars, um, trying to make ends meet. Uh, kind of you know didn't come from a very wealthy family. And um, my friend uh, locally, one of my best friends from high school had started a jewelry and a watch business on eBay. So back then eBay was, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's still big, but at the time it was like very, very big, you know, it was main e-commerce channel kind of thing. And, you know, we're, we're just straight out of high school, just kind of kids at that time. And, you know, most people, most of our friends are just going to college and partying and doing stuff like that. And, this guy, his business just took off. Like, I'm just, I'm going to his house. He's just boxes stacked up everywhere. I'm just like, wow, this is actually like real. You're doing this, you know? And um, finally, he got an office and I went to his office and I was just like, that for some reason, that made it more real for me. And I basically just said, teach me what you're doing. Let me take another kind of niche, another product category. And I, I just want to follow in your footsteps, you know? And, and that's how it started. I mean, we literally at the time we bought um, like 
60 units of a product um, on eBay as a wholesale like lot. And that for, so that's $5 a unit and then put them into back individually on eBay for $10 a unit and turn that $300 into $600. And then did that again and then did that again and did that again and just kept doing that. And then, you know, eventually, you know, added some, some SKUs and, and eventually like I had to learn how to build our own website. I mean, this is back in the day where this is way before Shopify, this is before shopping carts, I think. It's like you have to build your own thing. You know, I think there was some sort of processing going on. Um, but you, your website, you had to build in like Dreamweaver or front page and learn everything from scratch. And um, yeah, that's just kind of how, how it went. And, and the first um, year, I mean, I didn't even have like car insurance or health insurance. You know what I mean? It was just everything being put back into the business, um, not taking any money out. Fortunately, being 19, you know, I didn't have a lot of risk. I didn't have a family at the time. I didn't have really expenses. I was living at, you know, my mom's like apartment or townhouse. Um, so that was nice, you know, because of that, I was able to kind of go all in and not worry. Because to me at the time, it was like, hey, if I fail, I'm just back to where I started. No big deal. You know? um, but that's kind of how it started. And then from there, just constantly learning and constantly meeting people and asking how, how, do you, how, you, how is this working for you? What's working? sharing information and just kind of, you know, rolling from there. Beautiful. And so um, in the introduction, we, we told the audience how you've actually um, had multiple seven and eight figure businesses. Can you remember the first, um, the, the first seven figure plus business that you launched? And can you tell us about that, like when that was? Yeah. So I, I think the one that I would probably highlight was um, actually I ended up joining and partnering with um, this friend that I'm telling you about. And this was like, we were doing, um, at the time um, in, in the US, at least like hip hop was really big. I guess it still is, but it was really big. And it was that whole like bling bling kind of culture going on. And we were just selling basically cosmetic jewelry, but, but kind of for, uh, for the hip hop kind of audience. You know what I mean? Uh, You're selling bling. You're pushing bling. You're bling. Yeah, pusher. basically, yeah. So, you know, people, you know, the, uh, that was kind of the style and the fashion at the time. So yeah, that was really cool, man. Like we, we, we really just grew that thing um, pr very quickly. We ended up working, it was four of us. Uh, we ended up working with Interscope Records and like 50 Cent would like throw out, like we made the crosses that he, he would wear a cross, but then he would throw out like our, you know, cosmetic uh, jewelry crosses, like in his concerts, um, Snoop Dogg, like all these, you know, names that I actually grew up to listening to at the, time and you know working with these big record labels for licensing deals and stuff like that it was really awesome um the three guys that i was partners with are still my best friends to today uh, actually it was four of them one guy left but all of them are still my best friends and it was an amazing experience man we were just like young kids just every month just doubling sales just you know just it was a really fun time that's actually um, phenomenal. And was it the same sort of thing, like um, buying stock from somewhere wholesale and um, selling it on eBay here, or was the model slightly different? No, no. I mean, by that point, it was a website, a lot of SEO, a lot of uh, pay-per-click too. Like at the time, Yahoo was the main pay-per-click type of engine. Um, I think eBay, like, no, eBay became like a small part of it. Uh, and no, like, like it was just like every, at every stage we would go to the next kind of supply chain level. Right. So pretty much if you like a year into, it, we were importing from factories in China and, you know, um, 
you know, not just buying, you know, I mean, it was beyond buying on eBay. I mean, so we're coming up with our own designs and, um, you know, coming up with like literally like design patent like stuff. I mean, just trying to get better all the time, you know? So the eBay thing was just like the starting point. It got us in the door. And then just, you know, from there, we just kept growing and learning. Beautiful. And so what, what learnings did you take from that business to the next one? Oh, so much. I mean, I've, I've learned so much. I mean, I didn't know anything, right? I didn't, I didn't even go to college really prior to this. So I didn't know what a, what a profit and loss report is, what a balance sheet is, what, you know, marketing. So that was like university in a sense, um, like literally everything, everything you can learn about a business we learned there. Um, I think one of the key takeaways for me though, is I ended up leaving that business and letting my partners buy me out because I wanted to be like, the CEO of my own company and start something where I'm, you know, in charge myself. And over the years, I, I, I really learned that that's, uh, that's kind of, a, for me, that, that's, that's, that was kind of a mistake, I would say. I mean, I made it work, right? But I, I realized the value of partnerships and partners more when I went out on my own. And, um, you know, I think I kind of took that for granted somewhat um, with, at the time. So that was a big lesson for me. And, and the partners have to be right. You know, it's not like any partnership is amazing, right? There's a lot of, we've mm. heard a lot of nightmare stories about partnerships too. But um, when the partners complement each other, meaning they don't have the same strengths, but one person is strong in one thing and, or in one side of things and another is strong in another side, it can work beautifully, you know? And I, I, right now we all know, you know, people that have those kind of partnerships where, you know, they complement each other. And, and so, Absolutely. I'd say we have that um, at New Brew with um, uh, so Jude, our COO, and, and, and myself, like, right, like it's just completely yin and yang, like you said, like Perfect, um, yeah. the different ways of thinking, um, yeah. the emotional side, the logical side, and just yeah. the, the combined often we'll have different viewpoints and then the thing that we just the way we decide to go will be neither of what we initially both each wanted separately it'll be like a little hybrid and you're you're absolutely right and um like rocket fuel is a great a great book on um you know on that and the the sort of visionary integrator um kind of so 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 you wanted to do something so you wanted to do something where you were the ceo and it and it was your thing is that what happened? Probably more of an ego trip, you know? <laughs> it's all right, That's man. I, mean, I think you've earned it by the, even by this point <laughs> in your journey. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it's just so much harder. Like, it's so much harder doing it alone, you know? Um, it's cool, though, because eventually, like, in, in this current uh, brand, my wife actually ended up uh, being a partner in the business with me and, and really helped me grow it. But, um, yeah, I mean it's just so much harder. Like, I mean, when you're having a, a rough day, even just, just sharing with somebody, you know, the tough times, you know, and then sharing the wins. I mean, it's just so tough doing it alone. Um, especially in the beginning, like at this point, you know, I'm at a point where I can hire people that, are, you know, are better than me in certain things or certain, you know, categories of the business. But in the beginning, um, until you do that, you know, it's really tough, you know, and uh, nobody's really, it's very rare, I would say, that you can find somebody in the beginning that's an employee that's going to care as much as a partner, right? It's, it's, it's very difficult. Um, it's almost impossible, really. Why would they care as much as a partner? Um, I think, you know, as, as we get bigger in business and, you know, we find really 
like high level kind of executives, it, it's, it, you know, you get a different level of, uh, of team member there, but, um, yeah, it's just really tough. It's still really tough doing it alone. I would, I would highly recommend to anybody starting a brand to find, like know your strengths and your weaknesses and then find somebody who's the opposite of that, but it's also still very driven and like has the same goals aligned. Um, cause that's going to be, then you, you can be an unstoppable team then, you know? So, um, yeah. What was the thing that you turned your attention to next after that cosmetic jewelry business? Okay. Yeah. So after that one, I actually started a consulting, like an e-commerce consulting business where I was, you know, helping other brands and businesses, um, really realized I didn't enjoy that type of work. So, um, I really enjoy more building something, uh, not like working with clients, you kind of work with them, you kind of do all the stuff and then their thing just grows and you got to, you know, find another, work with another clients or something like that. I just, I enjoy kind of building something for the long term more. So, um, then I actually started a online retail store. It wasn't like our own brand. It was reselling like a lot of other brands also in the beauty industry. And, um, that one I actually started, uh, with my mom, my mom, uh, was a single mom growing up. So wanted to kind of do something to help her for retirement and stuff like that. So, um, that was really cool that that lasted a few years and, um, yeah, that was the next one. Nice. And so, so we were reselling, like we would just buy brands at the time. Brands were really bad at selling directly online, you know, and Amazon wasn't really the powerhouse it is now. So being an, just an actual online retailer where you're not even making the products, you're just buying them wholesale and reselling them was an actual business. You know, now it's dominated by big players like you know Target, Walmart, obviously Amazon in the beauty space. It's like Durham stores, stuff like that. But at the time you could actually make that work, especially if you knew SEO and you can get ranked for these brands, you know, names. Uh, and the brands were super happy because like they, their websites would not convert. Like nobody would buy from their website. You know, it was like security warnings all over. Like, you know what I mean? It was just like, you're talking pre any, anybody knowing anything about conversions. So that was like a value add, you know, cause people would feel comfortable buying it from our website versus theirs, you know? And, um, and so you were doing, you were doing the retail thing. Was this now scratching your itch of being, um, being the CEO and, um, you know, having having your your name on things. Were you thinking I'm liking the beauty space, but I, I feel like I could do a better job than many of these brands? What's the what's the transition here from selling other people's brands to forming your own? Oh yeah, well I think it's just you know, honest. It's just more so of uh, the industry changed. You know, like the brands. A few this is years later, like the brands kind of caught on, and you know, everybody's like, hey, we got to get online. We got to sell. You know. Um, and so, so that basically they got a lot better at selling directly online. And then, um, Amazon, you know, when we started, Amazon was selling like books and DVDs and then, you know, Amazon became a strong player in consumer goods and, uh, bigger players came in, you know, like Durham store that then got acquired by target and stuff like that. So, um, it just became not a sustainable business model really at that point. Um, like we weren't adding value anymore, you know? And so. We just saw the writing on the wall and we just said like, hey, we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot of what these customers want, you know, uh, what they don't like, what they like. So why don't we 
using that data and using that information make a great brand that people um you know people are going to love so that's that was kind of the transition there nice and we had this mailing list of all these beauty customers you know this email list like it was like 300,000 people or something like that so we were able to leverage that to launch our our brand um and that was super helpful you know so it's kind of a pretty kind of a like a seem like a like a easy transition not easy but you know it made sense yeah like really r tactically like really really right. strong and 300,000 list to to um launch oh, something yeah. in the same same or similar space is a phenomenal yeah. asset to have under your right. um, or in your in your armor and so when was this when did you uh, launch your your current brand uh 2016 2016 so right now it's about 4 years old and um what what were you like how did you approach it like straight off like were you straight in the laboratory making creams and potions or like, like what what were you thinking in terms of um what the best way to, to get this thing online and to and to generate your first sale yeah i mean the biggest thing is uh you only get one chance to make a first impression right so the first product has to be like a hit you know it has to be really good so from the beginning we really focused on product quality um, you know, even though kind of I'm a, I'm a marketer, you know, at my core, um, I, I realize that just marketing alone is not going to create a strong brand. Like it all starts with the product and the product when it's good, it really helps drive the marketing and really, you know, it makes the marketing so much easier. Right. So we worked with a contract manufacturer at the time and most, a lot of, you know, decent contract manufacturers in the beauty space have their own laboratories and have their own chemists on staff. And so they'll work with you to develop formulas. And, you know, um, as long as you promise to, you know, buy it from them, uh, or not promise, but sign, sign agreements. As long as you say, you know, you, you, you sign an agreement that you'll, you'll be, per they'll be the ones making it for, um, usually it's for a certain amount of years and then you end up, you know, take over the ownership of the formula and stuff like that. But um, yeah, that's how we did it. So we basically came up with like a hero initial product, um, got our foot in the door with customers that way, you know, proved ourselves like, that we, you know, that we make good products with this brand. And then it was kind of after that, it, it gets easier, you know, because people already um, trust that you make good products. They like your products. So when you create that secondary complementary product, it's an easy sell, you know. So can you tell us uh, like what, what sort of product that first hero one was and what price point it was sold at? Yeah, like that particular one was a vitamin C serum for the, fa for, for the face, um, the price point. So that, that was actually our model too, is that our model is that we take products that you, you'd be buy, you could buy like Sephora or, or you know, uh, beauty stores for double. And because we're selling it direct to consumer, we're going to sell it to you basically like instead of selling it to a retail store for $20 and then they sell it to you for 40, we're going to just sell it to you for 20, you know? Mm. Um, that's, that was kind of our motto. I mean, it's not, we're not reinventing the wheel. That's the basic D2C model, right? Like Warby Parker and all the stuff that's all their models too. Um, so at that point that one was like maybe $18 or something like that. Uh, but it was similar to stuff that you could buy for, for more from, yeah. from well-known brands. And so that was, that was kind of our motto too. Like we don't pay for celebrity endorsements. We don't, you know, pay for the retail markup. We don't, you know, we just give you a great product directly. 
think that's a that's a win win. And so, would you say that your you know you you launched it took off into the sunset and you've never looked back. You've never had an issue. It's all good. No. Eight figures. <laughs> thank you very much. No. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> can, you t can you tell us about one of your, uh, if you don't mind, one of your more costly mistakes and what you learned? Wow. Okay. Um, hmm. More costly mistakes. I can't. I, honestly, I can't. I can't actually think of. I think. Okay. So what I would say probably the costly mistake would be not not building out an in-house team sooner um kind of relying on a lot of um contract and outsource type stuff and agencies um i would say that was probably one of the bigger mistakes like being a little bit too cautious about increasing overhead um you know we all know the stories of people that increase overhead too much and lose a lot of money and you know just don't pay attention to their cash flow and I've made that mistake in the past in other businesses, uh, and it, it's a painful mistake. You know, it's very stressful. So I, I think I overcompensated for that in this business, and I think we would have grown a lot faster had I just taken the confidence and, and built the team sooner in house. Um, yeah, I would say that's that's a big one right now, right you know here. Uh, a lot of it, like a lot of the mistakes, I've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of lessons learned in the past. It, a lot of them, since I've been doing this for, for a decent amount of time, like they were kind of in previous businesses. By this point, I kind of really tried to think like, what mistakes have I made and what can I do different? And this was one of those things. And I, I just, I think we overcompensated though on this one. Okay. And so what, um, so delving into, into that a little bit, what's the strengths of having an in-house team over leveraging the expertise of an agency? And at what point do, do you feel each comes into their own and, and you know, maybe one's a better choice at one stage and then the other's at a different stage? Yeah, I think it's tough because in-house is extremely, it is very expensive to build that team. And I mean, I, I, we're in California, so it's like extra expensive, you know? Cost of living is really high here. Um, you have, you need workers comp, you need office, you know, you need, you know, um, all kinds of insurance. I mean, it's just, the, the costs are high. So I think, um, to answer your question, um, it's good to leverage partners and it's good to have a big network in the beginning to kind of get those references, right? Cause as far as like agencies go, there's a lot of crap out there. There are a lot of agencies that are just churn clients all the time. Um, and they don't care about results, but there are a few gems also. And those, you know, you can only usually find through like word of mouth. So I would say in the beginning, it probably does make sense for, to outsource certain things. Um, but I think as soon as, you, as, as it's possible to start to look and find great people, um, an in-house team by itself is not like, it's not, that's not all, all it is. Like you need really good people in-house, not, you know, otherwise it's not helpful. So I think where we just got to a point, um, you know, I would say after you're doing like a couple of million dollars, that's probably a good, a good in revenue. That's, it's a good place to start, you know, and it doesn't have to be all at once. I mean, like what happened with us is we waited so long by the time we started to hire, we needed a bunch of people. And so we had to do a lot of hiring up front, but you start with one person and then add another. I mean, it, it can be gradual, you know, but um, I think the biggest difference that I'm, that I, we experience is just 
there's something about when that's somebody's identity that they work for your brand. You know, it's on their LinkedIn. It's what they do all day. That's all they do. You know, they don't have any other clients. There's just something about people taking that ownership of like, this is what I do, that you get much better performance out of people. People care more, even just their ideas. Like when they're, you know, they might think of an idea when they're in the car because they're not thinking about 30 different clients, you know, like, like somebody with an agency is, or even a freelancer, you know, or even somebody working part-time. So I just really do believe in kind of getting people on the, on the bus, you know, or in the ship, whatever, like they're just like in it. You know, this is what they do. This is their identity. Like I said, it's on their LinkedIn. Like this is who they are as far as professionally, you know? So um, I just think it makes a huge impact we, with other, with outsourcing and freelancers. You, I was always getting, we were always getting like, I would say like 70% of, of like what these people could deliver and produce if they actually went all in, you know? I think that's that's beautiful words of wisdom right there and um you know i would encourage the listeners to rewind and re-listen to that bit and um and take notes and so changing, and changing part, up a- just to add a little bit something really quick to that the other part of that is like being able to build that culture so hiring people that are similar to each other uh so one of the things that we did is we use a system called eos and if anybody wants to learn more about it there's a book called traction out there uh, and so this system, we actually hired like a coach and did the whole like program, but people can do it on themselves by just reading the book and executing it. And so we put together core values and the core values are like who we are as a company. And when we hire people and when we manage, we, we're very strict. Like we interview like 10 people before we hire one to find people that fit those core values. And I think that's very difficult to do with like agencies or freelancers because you're kind of getting a mishmash of people, you know, and they may work well together. They may not. Um, but when you hire strictly based on the culture you want to build and the core values, it's like, it's amazing. You're literally like all these people have different personal backgrounds, but professionally, everybody's on the same page. Like, you know, it's amazing. hundred percent. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, to, to add, add to that recommendation as well. Yeah. We, we use EOS did the same thing, oh, um, you know, awesome. had the, yeah, yeah. And, um, That's cool. have the, the coach and the course check-ins and the rocks nice. and, uh, you know, all the rest of the stuff. It's, it's a, it's a, a really good system, particularly like you said, the core values and the, and using those with your scorecard to hire people. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, um, it's a strong way of doing it. And so, okay. So we've talked, we've talked about the people side. Um, now obviously scaling to, to eight figure annual revenues, um, in four years is, is really, really great growth and, um, and, and really, really impressive. Could you talk, talk to us about some of the, uh, say the marketing or traffic, uh, decisions that you've made that come that really spring to mind as like h- highlights, like, fuck yeah, I'm really glad I did that or that. Um, like big picture or, or really tactical? I mean, I I think tactical if, if you're up for it, (laughs) get in the weeds. Um, (laughs) well, I mean, I would say a couple of things right now. I'd say like, you know, SMS marketing has been, has been, so, I mean, basically just to take a little step back in e-commerce and digital marketing, they're kind of like, it's always changing, right? It's been, it's been such a new industry that there's always like, like when I started, the big thing was Google SEO. You know, it was super easy to get ranked on Google for, for keywords. People literally would have link pages and exchange links with each other and get ranked. Like it was that easy, you know, it was a joke. Um, so that was the big one. So at the time, knowing that, because that's where all the like traffic came and that's, where, that's how people shopped online, you know. 
then a transition to like Google AdWords and like Yahoo pay per click and then a transition to, you know, Facebook ads and uh, email marketing at the time was like really big. Right. So there's always like this new up and coming thing that until it gets adopted by like all the huge players and all the huge like brands like Nike or whatever, like it, it's extremely valuable. It's the low hanging fruit. So at every, every couple of years, something like that pops up for a while. That was Facebook, right? Like people were making just insane amounts of sales on Facebook really inexpensively. And then that kind of has become more challenging, right? So right now I would say that's SMS marketing. I think that's, that's kind of the current one. Um, and you know, I'm starting to get more SMS spam on my phone so I could see that, you know, this is going to start to go the way of email eventually. Um, you know, cause emails right now have like, you know, you're, you're lucky if you're, you're happy if you're getting, you know, 25%, 30% open rate, that's considered pretty good, you know? Yeah. Uh, but SMS has like a 99% open rate, you know, it's, it's out of control. Um, so SMS marketing, um, is huge. We use, uh, attentive, uh, I really, I, I'm a, I really like them, but there are a lot of different, um, good apps out there. Actually, I, I would give a shout out to one called live recover. It's really good. It's my friend Dennis, um, created it. They actually do shopping cart abandonment, uh, for, for SMS. Um, so yeah, that's a big thing. Like if you're, if you're like shopping cart abandonment, right? Like we know it works really well with email, right? But it works way better with SMS. So um, that's one that I would share. Um, another thing that has been really strong uh, for us is um, just building a community uh, of customers and uh, speaking, you know, edu educating customers, not just constantly only trying to sell them, uh, but really trying to add value through education. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of, and I know this isn't exactly what you asked, a lot of it just comes down to the product. Like a really great sticky product just goes such a long way and makes marketing so much easier. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I always say, and I think it was in my um, book, I always say that uh, if your product's good enough, that people would come to your house and buy it, you know, or buy it from your doorstep or buy it out of the boot of your car or, or the trunk of your car. So, like, you know, you've got a great product right and like and if it is that good people will do that um where you know and 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 like you say it's, it's a massive part of, of of the battle yeah that's a great uh, way to put it, it. and I, I would say new brew is actually a product like that i mean you've sent me some samples and i tried it and i absolutely loved it so uh or actually, some of the stuff we're working on now yeah you yeah did. it's, it's really awesome so i know that you get it um because you're the brand you're building is pretty much i mean that's 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 the playbook you know so I think it just um, yeah, comes down it, it to make... extra effort, doesn't it? Like at the beginning, like yes. a lot of the time, like if you if you want to be a me too, you can take something off the shelf that, that other people are already selling it and then you can compete on your marketing and your price and because it's the same product. Whereas if you take that extra effort at the beginning to create something that's different and better and do your research about what exists right now and what people are asking for, like in Amazon reviews, how they want it improved and then you deliver that, like that's a really good starting point and you know, you go into the market with, with no competitors for your exact thing and you've taken that extra effort, which your competitors would have to take that extra effort in order to catch you up um, right. rather than, say, selling a T-shirt where as soon as someone sees you're selling a great design on a T-shirt, they can literally clone right. that design the very next day and, and, and sell right. it. It's much harder. Um, yeah, definitely. You're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. I mean, 
I, it took me a while to get there though. You know, like I used to just think, you know, it's just all about marketing. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, uh, me too pro type stuff, buying and selling stuff, you know, um, it took me a while to really get there and realize it took me a few years to realize that and to, to realize that product development like is part of marketing. I mean, it's, it's all combined, you know, uh, if you make a good product and you have a higher repeat order rate or a higher word of mouth or whatever, your marketing is going to be way easier. Your CPAs are going to be lower. You know, your retention is going to be higher. Um, you could pay more to acquire a customer if you have a higher customer lifetime value. So, you know, actually that's another thing that I would, that I would add to answer your question about the marketing is really knowing and tracking and paying attention to the customer lifetime value. And so there's the lifetime value. And then there's also like the one year value and the 60 day value and the 90 day value and the 30 day value. And like really knowing all those numbers is super important because initially we were hesitant to be as aggressive. Like for example, with this particular current brand on our ad spend and our, in our CPAs, you know, because we're like, Oh, there's not enough profit there or we're losing money. And then we realized like we have a really high repeat order rate, you know? So we're getting people that are going to, that are reordering for years, really at this point, you know, it's like, that's an investment in the future. And so that, that's where the product quality comes in as well. Of course, it plays a huge part in the customer lifetime value. Um, if you have a crap product, nobody's going to keep ordering it for years, but if you have a good one, they will. And so that was a big thing. Like figure we track those numbers like weekly. That's one of our scorecards for the marketing department is our 60 day customer value. So we're, we want, we want to go on a weekly, you know, if we're doing our job right. And, um, at this point, a lot of that has to do with like launching new products and complimentary SKUs and stuff like that. There's many ways to kind of achieve that. But, uh, that, that was a big one for us because that's what allowed us to really scale is just saying, understanding that we can spend more to acquire a customer than, than in, it seems initially. Absolutely. And so are you tracking those um, manually or have you got some sort of software that you do that with? We do have a really good software. Um, it's uh, a friend of mine who is also on the board of advisors uh, created it. His name is Bob Akazad. He's an amazing guy, legend in the industry. I'm so honored that he you know, has agreed to kind of uh, work with us. And the software he created is called Nautilus. Uh, like the like NAU you know, T I L U S. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's, it's amazing. Um, he's done, I mean, this is a guy that really knows retention and, you know, uh, that kind of marketing. And he basically saw that there was nothing out there to do this right. And he created it. So I highly recommend it. If anybody wants an intro, reach out to me, you know, um, he's, his software is awesome. Beautiful. And so right now, easily integrates uh, with Shopify, just to say, just to add in Clavio and everything like that. And um, sorry to interrupt, but it's just like the information it gives us, like, I don't want, I don't want to go off on a tangent on it, but yeah, it's great. Beautiful. And so um, right now, how would you say um, if you're, you know, if you could make a little uh, cake out of all of the traffic that you've got, what, um, what are your say top three or top five slices right now in terms of um, traffic? Yeah, I mean, you know, paid media is, is definitely, it, it depends. Like for a new customer acquisition, it's paid media, it's um, word of mouth, you know. Um, but it's very hard to right now, even right now, like, you know, with I mean, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Google, you know, those are the big 
paid media kind of platforms. Um, so for new customer acquisition, that's what it is. For repeat, it's you know direct email, you know stuff like that. Yeah, but so um, right now working right on now, getting into, yeah some SEO has been talked before. Working on some SEO too right now. Nice. And so, which um, so of those four channels, the, um, the 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 Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, um, what sort of order um, would you say in there in terms of spend you're putting into those four channels? Um, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, without getting you know too specific, but you know, Facebook's still, still the you know they're still dominating that space. Okay. Yes, I'll just put it that way. All right, and what YouTube last? At the moment uh for now yeah yeah we're trying to trying to break that yeah um we have a mutual friend kasim who's really good at youtube ads he's been giving us some advice and you know at a certain point it's it's, a, it's I, yeah i actually have a call later today with somebody who's who who we might work with that's really good at that um we've, we've had yeah, some pretty good youtube not, guys um, we haven't on the cracked show. that for now yeah, um, I can. I can. Get, we had a, a guy named Ian Naj on um, on the show. Actually, he runs a um, a large YouTube agency out of Sweden, and um, they're spending you know several million a month on across their wow. YouTube ads, which I'd say um, you know is a good is a good guy. He's been on the uh, on on the uh, call as well um, on the podcast as well. Well, this is beautiful. This is such um such valuable information. I'm um, very reluctant to. Mix it up a little bit and go into the uh, the next stage of the podcast. It's purely time that is um, doing this, and uh, you know maybe we can get you back on a, a round two if the if you're up for it. But uh, for the meantime, we move into the rapid fire question round, which I know is going to be. Fun. Oh man, these are so hard. You sent me the list of them. I was like, uh, but it's going to be fun. It'll be fun trying to trying to uh, come up with the answers. So let's do it. Absolutely. All right. So rapid fire question round. Are you up for it, Alex? I'm up for it. Are you two thumbs up? Up for it. Oh. There they are. <laughs> All right. Question number one. <laughs> question number one. What superhero would you be and why? Uh, I would be Iron Man just because, you know, he's so cool and he builds cool stuff and he's like a successful entrepreneur and he, you know, owns a racing team and it's like, the coolest person ever that everybody wants to be like. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be Superman in that tight like bodysuit. It wouldn't. It wouldn't look right on me. You know what I mean? So, um, like metallic I could, suit. I could, uh, that's like a giant girdle anyway, right? There's no. Yeah, you know what I you mean. Know, you can't there's really no choice but to have a six pack in that. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> I'm a, you've you've also got the Tony Stark goatee thing going on. I thought that was. Is um, it, going yeah. on as well, right? You know. It's looking sharp. There you go. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to play the part already. You're already know. there. Yeah. <laughs> What's one thing that people often incorrectly assume about you? Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what people assume about me. You don't find yourself correcting people um, from time to time about uh, whether they've misunderstood or... No, I mean, no. not really. You can pass. You're an open book. Yeah, I'm going to pass on just, that. I really don't yeah. know. I mean, they're probably assuming all kinds of stuff about me. You know what I mean? <laughs> you just I just don't know. know. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to know. If, you, if, if anybody mentions something, let me know. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's a question for the loved ones sometimes. It's like, hey, am I an asshole? Type thing. You know, yeah, that kind of question. Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe true. I don't know, man. I, I would love to know. So if it's like incorrect, I can like not act like that, you know, but I don't know. <laughs> All good. Question three, what is the most pointless subject taught at schools and what would you replace it with? The most pointless subject taught in schools? Who? what are they? I don't know what the most pointless subject taught in schools is, to be honest, but what I do know is missing and what I would, what I think that they should add is like financial education, like how not to ruin your credit, you know, how to, what credit card, how credit cards work, how interest works, how to save money, you know, how does, you know, how to invest money. Like I, at least where I, you know, I went to school in the LA area and that's like completely missing from anything. And it's so important in our lives. I mean, you get out of high school, you go to college on the college campus, it's like stands everywhere, free t-shirt, just sign up for a credit card, you know? And we, I know so many people, including myself, who, who hurt their credit when they were young, like 18, 19, by just not knowing how to manage finances and credit and all that stuff is such an, a huge part of our lives. I, I don't remember it being taught at all. So I don't know what I would replace because I mean, like, a lot of these subjects, I mean, math, English, I don't want to replace that. That's important stuff. You know, I mean, history is important, but uh, I think that should be added at least. What's one random act of kindness you've either witnessed or done yourself? Uh, you know, I would just say like, it's maybe not so random, but when I was, um, I'm an immigrant to the United States. And so when I was growing up in the LA area, my, my mom was a single mom. We were kind of struggling a lot. And there was always people that would kind of step in and, and help play that father role, uh, whether it was my karate instructor uh, or my wrestling coach or my mom's like boss who was an entrepreneur um, that would just kind of see like, hey, these kids are kind of, you know, could be in trouble or it's just a tough life and would, would just try to make it easier, try to give us advice, kind of be mentors and, you know, um, even help like, you know, some financially somewhat like here and there, you know what I mean? Like not nothing huge, but, um, like I think that's kind of cool to see when people see, you know, a family that's, that's, that's not, you know, doing as well and, and choose to, to help when they don't have to, you know, or even if it's just like advice or, or in my case, like, you know, it could be like even giving a job, like, you know, my karate teacher would give me, I would work on the weekends and work the karate birthday parties, you know, as a teenager. So, um, but I think like, I think kids that maybe don't have the best home environment, like they don't have one of the parents at home or whatnot, or parents are just always working. It's, it's really cool when other, other adults step in and kind of help guide them a little bit too. What unusual or underrated food or drink should more people try out? Caviar, black caviar. Nice. Tell us about that. Or tell us why. Uh, yeah. So I grew up in the Soviet Union. I grew up in a country called Estonia, but there was one of the republics or a few of them, I think, would make caviar, like produce it and not, I guess, I don't know if they didn't export it. But basically, the bottom line is at the time it was as cheap as butter. Like it was just like you could, just, like people would just eat it like for breakfast, you know, on like a sandwich. So um, now it's super expensive, you know, but um, I think it's really good. Some people, my wife, like, just almost throws up at the sound of that word, but um, <laughs> I think more people should try it. Nice. What's one mistake you made in your life and what did you learn from it? 
one <laughs> i've made so many mistakes it's hard to um man i made so many mistakes i i would say like just because this is more of a business podcast i i would say the partner thing you know just undervaluing partnerships and not really uh understanding how valuable having other people that you know even the, the like as a sounding board i know we talked a lot about strengths and weaknesses and stuff like that but I think you mentioned like you and your partner uh, just having a discussion and, and it's good to have somebody push back, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of times with decision making, we can get so invested in an idea and we just think it's going to work, you know, like because we want it to work. And it's good to have somebody who's going to be honest and say, hey, have you thought about what if this happens and what if this goes wrong? And, you know, um, that's really important and valuable. And so when without having a partner, you have to play that devil's advocate with yourself and that's really tough because really, you know, <laughs> if you're invested and you believe in, in, some, in a decision, it's really hard to play devil's advocate and really, you know, so I would say that's a big one. Like just really uh, putting, I guess, like ego and saying, I got to be the CEO, you know, and um, undervaluing what a great partner or partners can, can add. Absolutely. You can still be the CEO with a partner, right? Like, um, you know. Yeah, Particularly if your yeah. I mean, doesn't like, like the limelight, perfect, right? True, true, right. But in my, in my, I guess the my partnership experience was I had we had I had three partners, you know, and we were equal partners in the sense, or not in the sense, we were equal partners, and um, yeah. So I wanted, you know, everybody had their part of the business, which now I think is great, you know. But at the time, I was like, I want to be in charge of all of it, you know, and that's a mistake. what does the first 30 to 60 minutes of your day look like and at what time does it typically start um yeah usually um i wake up around six i get a cup of coffee i hop on on my laptop i check in you know with what's going on any emergencies going on or anything like that which there's never is you know so uh usually there's not but um so, but it's just like a weird anxiety of like, let me just make sure everything's working right, you know? Um, and then, um, well, lately, um, you know, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm, you know, getting back into shape. So I'll hop on the Peloton or I'll go for a run. Um, and then shower, get dressed, go to the office. Um, we have an office, but all the, all the team right now is still working remote. So I just go to this big office alone and <laughs> have like walk around and pace and talk on the phone and sit at different desks like <laughs> every day um and then that's it man it's pretty non-stop from that point on and um then come home around six hang out with my kids and my family you know have dinner and then usually after that like play some video games with my son and then in the evening it's kind of back to work and that's kind of some of my most productive time because there's no interruptions from phone calls like you know slack and all the all which are important things but that's where i can do some more some deeper work and um and then the weekends i try to really 100 percent just leave for my kids and, and and not work at all where do you go or what do you do to get inspired man i go to cartels events you know seriously like i go to events you know and uh i meet people that like you and i meet people like the cartels group and i meet people that um that are like me, you know, that, that have my same interests and goals. And I get energy and I get inspiration from that, from being around people like that. Um, after, unfortunately it's, you know, with COVID that hasn't mm. been 
possible lately, but oh, I can't yeah. wait for it to become possible again. Um, I get inspired by people. I get inspired by people, you know, like entrepreneurs, like that same energy, you know, it's just, the, especially, you know, positivity and positive people, which is what the cartels group and events are. That's, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's probably not every event or every group that's like that, but I've been lucky to, to, to you know, be part of this thing. So, um, Absolutely. I should probably, I should probably clarify as well for those that haven't like you are uh, new to the yeah. show or whatever, like when, when Alex is referring to the cartels group, he's not referring to the one that you think he is oh, potentially, yeah. right? <laughs> he's referring, name, yeah, uh, we'll just do a little bit of beheading and you know, with a few assassinations, dude, it really relaxes me. No, no, we're talking about the cartels mastermind, um, ah. where, of, of which we're both a master. Digital founders uh, both, network, uh, right? Yeah, so. yeah, it's going to be. Um, we're we're both members of, and um, you know, we we put on these amazing events, and yeah, you can find out more about it. Cartels, Dude, like for me, it's not. I don't even when I say cartels now, I don't think of like the, the criminal. <laughs> yeah, cartels. I I, that's that's we're kind of going through the rebrand. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's we like, got that's that's got to happen. Not man. that one, the other one. Yeah, when yeah, you have to say that, time, it's uh, it's true. I just remember being in. Um, I used to be in like a, before we got this office, we were in like a shared office space for a little for a couple of months, and. I was on the phone with my friend Justin, who you also know, and we were talking about like, yeah, the cartels event, the cartels event is coming up and I'm speaking really loudly in this like, like lounge. And he, I, I, at one point I looked around and people were looking at me like, what, what? Yeah. <laughs> what is this guy talking about? Yeah. So it's yes, it's definitely time for a rebrand, I think. What book do you read, recommend, or gift the most? Hmm. You recommend gift the most? I, I don't know. I don't have one specific one at this point. It depends on what people are like looking for, what, what well, they're interested with some, in. Some highlights. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's weird. Like when I was 18, I read the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And it, it, for me, it, it was weird. Like it really had a major impact on me. Now, when I tell people about it or when I even read it, it's, it's, it's a little weird. It's like, always think about money and all this it's just like a little now it seems a little weird but i i think it really did have a major impact on me um i would say traction if somebody wants a good system for running and managing their their business um i also get really inspired by reading biographies of successful people so like for me the steve jobs biography was really inspiring it's a big book it takes a while to get through but it's fascinating you know Jeff Bezos story, like any, anybody that's done kind of like what you want to do to a higher degree, reading their biographies is, is always really inspiring. Um, yeah, aside from that, it's just like more tactical, you know, you want to learn how to invest, you know, a book about that, stuff like that. Like, what do you, you know, what do you want to learn about? Um, yeah, I can't think of, um, uh, I can't think of stuff off the top of my head, but I have, I have a huge library, like basically like a library, you know, here. And so um, I'd have to just take a glance at it and see what, you know, I just, it's, I'm just blanking out right now a little bit on that. Oh, good, man. What silly thing should people do more of? I'd say dance. Sounds that is, that's, maybe that's not silly for people, but like dancing with my kids is, I look so dumb, but it's so much fun and they get so much joy out of it that let's say like dancing with kids, they, they really get a lot of joy out of dancing. It's really cool. If you could change one world problem with one wish, what would it be? 
one world problem. I mean, I would stop wars, you know, I think if we can figure out a way to figure things out, you know, by speaking rather than killing each other, I think that would be amazing. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be pretty good. Yeah. It'd be a cool thing to do guys who are warring. Maybe, maybe th talk about just chatting, you know, talk it, talk it through. Great. Yeah. It feels like we're kind of getting there. Like if you look at history overall, it does, mm. you know, this, we are, we have way less, you know, yeah. uh, wars and big wars. So hopefully humanity's getting there, but sometimes, you know, yeah, my doubts a bit yeah, yeah. And then final question, Alex. What makes you happiest? Um, for me, what makes me happiest is um, just being able to engineer my life to live it the way that I in, that that fits me and that I enjoy. So, f you know, for me, that's being able to spend time with my family, being able to provide for my family things that make them happy. You know. Um, Building, building a business makes me happy. Building a great team who enjoys working with each other makes me happy. I think I would say like building makes me, makes me really happy. So, you know, having a vision of something and then actually over time seeing it come to fruition and, and become reality is really cool for me. Amazing. Well, that's a fantastic question to, to um, top off the question round, Alex. At this point, I'd like to ask you, do you have any asks or requests of the audience? No. Not really. Um, reach out anytime if you want to connect. Um, I guess you'll post my, or I guess you can share my email or something like that. Or Yeah, you uh, can say it on here. You can say it now if you want. How can they reach you? Yeah, alex.keon at gmail.com is my personal email. Anybody want to um, talk shop or has questions, reach out. Uh, if you feel like there's any kind of, uh, you know, opportunity for us to work together, reach out, you know. Um, yeah, not, not, no real big asks, just, um, yeah, just, just glad to be here. Glad to be talking to you, Martin. It's been a while. Love that. Likewise. I don't know how much we're about to talk about the, the mastermind, but you know, we met a, about a year ago in Thailand. Uh, you know, I remember like the pool at the first, you know, place that we were at and, uh, use you like Jason Akative, Todor, who's like, I love that guy. He's a good friend now. Also, Dan Snow was the, you know, I mean, that was just such an awesome experience. And I'm so glad I, that was such a big uh, leap of faith for me to like, you know, I have two kids. I have a like for me to just be like, I'm going to Thailand guys. And they're just like, what? That's for work? Are you sure? You know? <laughs> that was, that was not easy. And I, and I just said, you know what, you know, fuck it. I'm doing it. Let's do this. And I'm so glad I did. And um, yeah, the group you guys have built is just amazing. The events you guys put on are amazing. Really glad to be part of it. Roll on the next one. Uh, we keep pushing it off, but uh, yeah. you know we're gonna. It's gonna be bigger and better than ever. But for the time being, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time Thanks, today to to share with us to to drop such immense value to give your um, incredible insight into into e-commerce and to allow our listeners to to learn from um, from your experience. Um, it's invaluable. I'm so grateful that you've taken the time today to be with us. It's my pleasure, Martin. Thank you so much for having me. 
Hey there, you incredibly good-looking human. Thanks so much for listening. If you had a good time today and would like more good times in the future, please hit that subscribe button and leave a heartwarming review. I read them all and it will go a long way to help others out there benefit from all the teachings of this show. And if you want to get in touch or otherwise learn more about me, head to martincook.co.uk or smarterdestiny.com. I really appreciate you. You're an incredible human. Until next time, keep crushing.